Hello and welcome to this Owl Explains Hootenanny, our podcast series where you can wise up on blockchain and Web3 as we talk to the people seeking to build a better internet. Owl Explains is powered by Avalabs, a blockchain software company and participant in the Avalanche ecosystem. My name is Silvia Sanchez, project manager of Owl Explains, and with that, I'll hand it over to today's amazing speakers. Hello and welcome. This is the Smart Contract Session Part 2. Faster, cheaper, better. How Deloitte is using smart contracts to accelerate disaster relief. Uh, I am joined today by um, Tim Davis and Peter Muller from Deloitte. Uh, Peter is currently a blockchain architect in Deloitte's blockchain and digital asset practice, responsible for designing architecture of blockchain product offerings and leading the Deloitte Advisory Blockchain Studio development efforts. He is the solution architect for Deloitte's Closes You Go asset, and his team is currently focused on improving client cyber posture through blockchain-powered security tools. Uh, Tim Davis leads the blockchain and digital asset practice for the advisory business at Deloitte. His clients have uh, been mostly in the technology and financial service industries, and he serves a range of emerging crypto native companies through large institutions. Thank you very much uh, for joining me, um, uh, Tim and Peter. Thank you. Pleasure. Great to be with you, Justin. Thanks. And let, let's start from square one. So why, why don't one of you tell me what, what is Closes You Go? Well, Closes You Go is a tool uh, that we provided clients to manage the eligibility requirements behind grants uh, that trickle down from FEMA to localities. As you can imagine, there's a lot of paperwork and process that goes into that flow. And things get lost in the mix. People lose paperwork. People lose contact. People leave their work. And this has caused problems in the past where some of these grants, uh, these loans, they don't get accomplished for many years. And that's a problem when you have to pay uh, your contractors to remove trees, say, after a hurricane, because these localities aren't sure if FEMA is going to show up later and say, hey, you didn't do your, 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 your paperwork right, so we're going to claw back that loan. And if you've paid people, you don't have the money to pay back the clawback, that's a problem. Close You Go uh, is based on a platform that uses blockchain to manage all of these eligibility requirements for our clients. So they know by following the checklist inside of Close As You Go and uh, and uploading the proper documents that they need to do, that everything is as it should be, and they can be confident in using that money as it comes down from FEMA. Great. And um, so a client then may choose to use clo- Close As You Go uh, to get an advantage in this process by using your system, but alternatively, they might um, just tr- try to handle this themselves and apply directly uh, to FEMA. Is 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 that how it works? Uh, yeah, indeed. In the past, you know, there was always a problem with, well, we have uh, we have this requirement, that requirement. Nothing was very clear, and everything was paper based. So just imagine file cabinets and file cabinets of stuff that's everywhere. Close You Go gets rid of all that madness, and we have an account team with the localities. It's set up, basically, think of it as a checklist that says, here, according to your local rules and state rules, here's what you have to do. Here are your requirements. If you fill these out, you can be confident that uh, you are uh, in compliance. And furthermore, the system will let, for example, the state know that, hey, this locality has done what they're supposed to do. You need to check this out and review it, and that's all powered by the blockchain in the background. 
And uh, what type of solutions, if any, existed in the past for uh, making these types of applications? There, there have been a number uh, put out there. Many of them are built on uh, Salesforce and Oracle, uh, you know, put together specifically for for what those developers saw in counties. But I don't think they encompass uh, all the rules that we 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 go over and close as you go. That checklist I was talking about. So you have Deloitte's ability to understand, hey, this is what your state has to do, and this is what your state has to do, and so we customize that experience for them. Close as you go is the tool they use to get into that experience. But there's that there's that big difference is Deloitte's understanding of of you know all the the requirements and the compliance stuff that that's an important piece of it so it's more than just software right it's making sure that you're in in line with the law and you know people often like to say that um a lot of what can be done with web3 can actually be done in more traditional ways uh using web2 um so here you know why why the blockchain um why a decentralized architecture the, the architecture is important because there are a lot of players in this system that aren't quite sure what the other players are doing. Uh, that's one thing the blockchain does. So it keeps it keeps everyone honest, basically. Uh, did you turn this paperwork in? Yes, we did. Did you review it? Yes, you did. Now I'm talking about two separate entities here, the state and local level, who don't necessarily talk to each other at the time. And it's not like it's just one-on-one all the time. They have 100 different localities in the state, right, they need to keep track of. The blockchain helps manage all that, who did what, and it's transparent to everyone in the ecosystem of who did what. That's what's really important. So there's no more argument about, well, did you get that paperwork? Well, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. It's back and forth. Um, also, interesting enough, we use the blockchain for uh, stuff like login. It's not just what you want to make sure people see. It's also for stuff like what you can and can't do in the system. We use smart contracts to control that kind of authentication and authorization. And I would imagine, you know, um, especially given how your clients are becoming involved in making these applications, right? There's a usually a natural disaster or some catastrophic event behind it. It's probably not always the easiest of circumstances to keep, you know, and preserve paperwork for a long period of time on their behalf. So, you know, for them to scan it, get it, get it up, you know, and load it up on your system as quickly and easily as possible. Um, seems like uh, you know that would be important to something like this. Yeah, no, it, it's been a it's been a real pain in the past for them because you know they they used Excel spreadsheets or a Word document, you name it, to make sure that hey, did the last person make sure the things are as they should be? I think so. You know, it, so it and it was a mess. Then they had to have physical paperwork of here's what we turned in and copies and all. You can imagine it, it's just a huge mess. We've digitized all of that and made it much more clear and made a nice workflow that they can follow. And, you know, whenever you're talking about insurance products, or in this case, government grants, um, you know, the question of fraud o- o- always lingers. Is, is that something that, you, you, you know, you have some experience seeing uh, in this space? And, and, and how is that uh, in play? And does the blockchain or do, do the systems you've created uh, in any way, you know, help to combat that concern. Yeah, indeed. They're, one of the biggest concerns is fraud. Um, I can give an example. When they fill a truck with leaves, someone has to say, is that 75% or is it 80% full? And that matters when you're talking about leaves, you know, pounds of leaves and how many dollars per pounds of leaves. When you get into that minutia, there is opportunity for fraud everywhere. This uh, our system keeps track of all of those transactions and keeps a running ledger of 
hey, well, it keeps a running ledger of hashes of all those transactions that have been digitized to say, this is what was said. Here's where we can prove what was said. So it, it really brings down that, that fraud potential. I'm not saying it eliminates it, but it, it, when it was just all paperwork, as we all know, that, you know, it, it's right for fraud at that point. And so, so you spoke a little bit about um, why the blockchain uh, sounds like auditability is a big component of that. Security is a big component of that. Um, but, you know, aside from why the blockchain, why Avalanche in particular? Tim, do you want to speak to our relationship with Avalanche? Yeah, I mean, uh, the why Avalanche is the really got to do with the subnet feature that Avalanche operates, right, which really creates for us um, the uh, benefit of operating in really a private subnet chain, but having all the benefits of the public chain, right, so that we can take advantage of the, um, the consensus mechanism and being able to put uh, basically heartbeat uh, hashes to the public chain that give a level of verifiability to the actions on the private chain. So we're getting all of the strength of that pub permissionless chain consensus mechanism, but yet being able to kind of keep the transactions uh, confidential to just those uh, entities that are operating on the chain. So th that's one of the, the biggest reasons in terms of the why avalanche. I did just, and just want to go back and, you know, you, you, as we were talking about the, the why blockchain, um, you know, there are, as Peter was saying, I mean, other attempts at sort of database-based solutions. And, and we talked about, you know, some of the reasons why. But one of the other things that we've done with Close As You Go that I think is important is the usability. Because, you know, blockchain is sort of complicated for a lot of these local buyers. They don't really understand it. Um, and so having a really familiar user interface that they don't have to worry about all the technical plumbing on the background is really important because it just works and 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 it and it's a familiar user interface so that piece of the solution i think is really important relative to you know the willingness of people to adopt it and use it yeah that's a good point and um and this is not right this is not a theoretical use case as i understand it. clients are actually using this today it's in production uh, you, now it, i'm sorry it is in production now and uh, and how long has it, have you been live uh, almost a year a year now. Uh, we're coming out with a new version here very soon. Um, you know, with all the one of the features that Tim mentioned was the heartbeat, and that's because of the new subnets that we're using. Uh, that heartbeat is important. I think it's it's rather it's rather new to the whole world. Is that we are submitting this heartbeat to the public chain? It's basically an an hourly heartbeat that is considered a, a Merkle root of all of the hashes on the current closes you go status. What's great about that is, you know, it, it's an audit of the auditors without revealing what our clients uh, have in the system. It is irrefutable. It is a cryptographic hash with a timestamp saying, here are all the transactions inside of close you go. And we submit that to the public chain. So any regulator or anyone who has questions and has that authority and says, hey, I want to see things are as they should be. Yes, we can prove that through the public chain. That's fascinating. And, and, and that is really something un unique to this technology. You can't really do something that equates to that, you know, in the more traditional web, web two space. It's a real powerful feature of it. The, the, the problem is there's it, it, your, your solution needs to be engineered to take advantage of that. Uh, and I think we need to see more of that. 
it sounds like you guys are, are, are certainly doing that and uh, will, will hopefully be uh, an example to others. Um, you know, the title of this series is, is, is uh, really uh, uh, geared towards smart contracts and, uh, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of Web3 development at its core are, you know, as you know, a series of smart contracts that work together and interact. What, what, uh, but if you can get a little bit more technical on that, you know, what are the smart contracts that make up close as you go, you know, uh, and what are they doing? Well, um, obviously, some of them keep track of of these documents that I mentioned before. They help help the clients realize here is a list of items uh, that have been hashed. So the, that's how we keep track of it. Have you done this? Have you done that? That's one way you use smart contracts. The other way we use smart contracts, as I mentioned before, is for security. Um, without getting into too much detail, they they basically decide what you can can't do in the system. They help us generate our tokens in the back end that decide. Um, what your experience looks like, your React experience from 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 the user uh, perspective. I mean, because we don't want, you know, we, we don't want to have a whole bunch of stuff for everyone that looks the same for everyone. It's got to be customized to what they want, they need to see. The smart contracts help us do that. Another interesting feature we use is we use them for siloing data. Um, your smart contract protects others' data by keeping your data separated from them while still in the same system. As such, if your private keys are compromised, well, only your data is compromised because the smart contracts keep the rest of it siloed away from your experience and from your, your uh, what's associated with your public key. And I think we've danced around it a little bit, um, but if you don't mind, can you, you know, walk us through you know, when a, a user comes on and they you see the login screen, they log on, you know, what do they do? Walk us through the, the process. Uh, well, like with, with any system, they log in and they get to a, a dashboard effectively uh, that shows uh, how prepared they are for the next disaster. And by that, I mean how prepared they are with their documentation and what the requirements are. Uh, it, it's it's like to Tim's point. It's made to be very simple. Uh, it's not meant for for you to be technically savvy. We don't want that. Uh, there's a basically you know you get a green light, yellow light, or red light saying, "Have you done this? How 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 close are you to being done?" It gives you the 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 big picture of whether or not you can expect human to come down and say You're, this is not right. And if they do, you can prove that it is right. That's really what they care about. They care about seeing that. Have I met the requirements? And that's what it shows them. And it doesn't get into anything else. It doesn't need to get into anything else. So following up on that, you know, that that kind of, I think, gets back to Tim's point, which was, um, you know, what I'll call abstracting out the blockchain, uh, really. You know, for, um, you have the technology, the, the blockchain's powering it, but the user doesn't really see that or necessarily interact with that uh, a part of it. Um, in, in your view, is that a good thing for blockchain technology? Is that a bad thing? Is it just case dependent or do you have a view on that? Yeah, I mean, I would just, I think it's a good thing because it brings all of the power of us having, being able to design UIs that, you know, we're really getting much better at and that UI can be extended to mobile devices and other form factors. So it gives us all of that power and flexibility um, while not having to sort of take blockchain sort of the, and the tech 
further than it really should, right, in terms of what it's just the, the blockchain tech and the smart contracts have a, a critical role, but it is a role in a larger ecosystem of the overarching experience. And so being able to kind of bridge something that we found is really critical is, is being able to make sure the user understands the function the system's performing without necessarily needing to understand why. Uh, because and, and so once they see that it just works and they've got a level of confidence in it, um, you, you suddenly can get a you know a lot more willingness to adopt the technology. One of the biggest impediments to adoption, quite frankly, is either a poor UI or just an overcomplicated experience where they're not really sure. You know, Web three in so many ways is so different than Web two, and sometimes we're just asking users you know to give them a raw experience again too much of a leap of an understanding of what's happening and what am I doing and this doesn't work the way the, the way that I understand the web 2 works. So, you know, some would might refer to this as web 2, 2.5, right, where we're sort of bridging the best of both worlds together. But I see this as being a, a critical sort of uh, modality of sort of how we continue to bring blockchain technologies into production going forward. Yeah. It's incredibly important that we don't focus so much on the blockchain, the smart contract, the technology, your users don't care. The, the best blockchain solution you can build is one where your users don't realize blockchain is being used. And don't build it just because of blockchain. Build it because the solution, uh, the challenge is appropriate for a blockchain solution. I, you know, you look on social media everywhere, we're all talking about blockchain, Web3, all this technology. doesn't mean anything. We're not talking about TCP, IP. We're just using the internet, right? It's the same concept for blockchain. We need to focus on the solutions, be more pragmatic about it. I think that, you know, that's a great point. And it, it might be an interesting turning point for the industry when people, you know, as you put it, you, you're, not, you're, you're just talking about the thing and not the technology powering the thing. Um, and I think that, that, that will be an important uh, time when, 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 uh, when we adopt things in that manner. I don't think we're quite there yet, but things like this will certainly help help that uh, that happen. Um, so if I have it right, it's really, um, it's local governments, you know, municipalities, state governments, government agencies, maybe uh, government contractors that are really the clients here. So you have some experience with, with that clientele. Um, are there any other logical applications for this type of a system that you think could... Um, service these same types of, you know, municipal government clients that, that you think would be a logical sort of outgrowth from, from what you're doing here? Um, thinking, going back to the point that close you go is built on a platform. That platform is, you know, for workflows that might have a lot of paperwork or eligibility requirements associated with them. So it, it depending, we could change the front end. That's not the issue, but it would apply to many industries. Uh, Banking could use it. Insurance could use it. The government, of course, can use it. We're showing that. But anything that has a complicated workflow that people feel like, man, I don't know if, if I'm doing this right, there's your client. That's, those are the people who need it. But not, not something that's easy, but something very complicated. And you can imagine um, even something like all the, the talk right now about COVID, COVID money not being used properly. Stuff like that, that's all requirements. Those are all that, that have been lost in the minutia of getting that money out. That's where the underlying platform that Close You Go lives on could be used and you name it. Anywhere like that where it's complicated. No, Tim, if you have any thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I mean, the number of applications is really huge when we think about all the benefits the government pays and the eligibility requirements go behind that and the level of fraud that exists in that system today. But even, as Peter said, in, in the private context, if you think about insurance, right, and the eligibility of claims and how some of our, you know, the experience with claim adjudication and the level of errors there is quite high, right, and it's of great inefficiency and cost to then have a healthcare provider, you know, believe that the claim is eligible and then find out that when it comes to the claim adjudication that it ends up getting denied and then there's all the... So being able to sort of bring all of that decisioning to the front end, right, and then having this immutable sort of trail of and the accountability of decisions that are made, but being able to sort of also take some of these decisions and, and automate them to the extent possible so you're minimizing the amount of human judgment all of this leads to tremendous sort of efficiency in these uh, systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's all fascinating. I mean, an obvious application that's always talked about in government is voting. I think this is a little, um, you know, maybe not directly adjacent to voting systems, but uh, but certainly something that these uh, clients might be interested in at some point. And um, and also, right, your your clients here could almost, you know almost switch roles because I'm sure a lot of the, the state governments and local governments are doling out funds for particular purposes, you know, on a local level, and they may very well want these systems or similar systems to process things on their end. Um, so it seems like there, you know, could be countless clients and applications just staying within this lane. Yeah, in, indeed. The, the idea is to have the state and the localities and eventually FEMA all playing in the system. Uh, right now, we're pretty much focused on the state and the localities getting their ducks in order. But it's, it doesn't just help the localities. It helps the states, too, because you can imagine they got to review, like I said, 100 different localities. They want to get to the point where they feel like, you know what? Close as you go says that their, their ducks are in line. So their ducks are in line. I don't need to worry about that. Here's the stamp of approval, which has already been done cryptographically. So we can just go ahead and eventually... Because uh, FEMA's policy really in the end is, you know, they want to get the money to the localities. Of course they do. But they have to make sure things are right. And if they start getting that warm and fuzzy that things are as they are because Closigo says so, then we get the money out faster and we have less chance for problems. And that, and that's and that's a really, you know, they often throw around you know, the term trustless in this space and things of that nature. But really here you want trust, you know, you want trust from FEMA that when they see closes you go behind this, they understand the technology and they understand the systems that are auditing this to a level where they are comfortable. The mere fact that it has gone through that process gives them, you know, additional comfort that this stuff can, you know, has that stamp of approval and things can, you know, things can get processed. And I'm sure that just, that takes time. That takes, you know, uh, exposure to these systems some trial and error, getting to know the teams behind it. But it sounds like eventually that's really, you know, might maybe the secret sauce. It, it, it is. And, and they, you know, they're so used to things being broken with all the paper. It's going to take a while. It's not just here's the clothes you go, ta-da, everything's fine. It's a new technology. And we don't, we don't talk about blockchain when we're meeting potential clients that's not the point but because it's new technology and they figure out it's blockchain you know it's 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 going to be a little bit until they're totally comfortable with it but when they do i th i i personally think it's a slam dunk yeah i i think you know in this case with fema i mean they see the benefits firsthand because all the documentation is there 
it's immutable, so it's not like it's subject to any uh, interference, stuff like that. So they they see the benefit. But if you kind of go back to like the voting example where there is maybe, I'll just say inherently, a high degree of public skepticism about these systems in general, and they have to carry a huge weight relative to the level of trust. that And, and there that's not the only example. There are other systems that have to carry a disproportionate amount of trust as to whether or not the black box works. And so it's a, it's, when we talk about trustless systems, this is just my own personal belief. I mean, the, the, the systems arguably don't need to be audited because they're essentially auditing themselves in real time. And, and once people understand that, they might be able to get there. But I just believe that human nature, we, we probably will still need auditors in those types of settings that is giving the public assurance, yeah, the black box actually is getting to the right answer. And, 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 and it's just sort of the transition thing that as we get more comfortable with the technology, eventually that need for the, the manual auditing, I would say, might go away. But, but it's sort of like, how do we introduce this technology into the sort of the human condition that's inherently for these high trust applications? Maybe I'd just say skeptical. How do I know the black box actually works? And so, you know, we have to think about ways that we can sort of help the public at large kind of just get more comfortable with these kind of systems. And, you know, it so may, may require a little bit of inefficiency in the interim here with additional auditing and stuff like that than is actually ultimately necessary in long term. Yeah. And uh, in the first part of this series, we, we looked at um, uh, and I spoke to some folks at, at Lemonade which, and they're using blockchain solutions to deliver crop insurance to um, subsistence farmers all across the world where really given all of the um, costs that are associated with traditional insurance, just printing the paper and all the layers of brokers and agents, et cetera, made, you know, made it almost impossible to deliver insurance to the end user in the situation where they're delivering uh, insurance in that use case. But they're the they're they're not uh, abstracting the blockchain out as much as as you guys are. You know there is still, a, you know, a system that needs to be interacted with. There's you know cryptocurrency going from one bank account to another, and then a deposit ultimately made back when, if the insurance is paid out. So it is um, the technology is a little bit um, seamless in their sense too. It's all done through like text messaging, and even basic phones can run it. So. Um, you know, so they've abstracted it out a little bit, but but I think the users still feel the blockchain more in in that use case. Here, it seems like they don't really at all. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, and I've seen, I guess I've seen certain NFT platforms where you know users can use a credit card; they never have to actually know, you know, know what a wallet is or interact with a particular wallet or address or really the back end blockchain stuff. They just log into their account, they see an NFT or whatever they want to buy, and they do it on their credit card, and they don't really know about any of the blockchain stuff. But I'm wondering, like, I haven't really seen too much of that, other than really the NFT example I just gave and what you guys are doing. Are you aware of other, you know, applications where they're just sort of seamlessly running this technology in the background without the user really even, you know, knowing it's there? I haven't seen much. Many of the applications I've interacted with that have blockchain in them, the blockchain is very apparent. Um, and I, I, but to your point earlier, I think we're starting to move away from that. Uh, it, it's from, in my personal opinion, as a solution architect, blockchain to me is a force multiplier for the rest of the stack. Uh, it is a lens through which you look at a problem. Uh, it is not 
something you just put out there as a tool for people to use. Uh, if you can follow that and, and going back to abstraction and abstract that away from the experience, it, it's absolutely a back-end process. It's not something you want people touching. Um, and if you are clever enough to integrate it into things, uh, into the rest of the stack where you have Stripe, where you have all the other features involved and you you use it appropriately and not force it into roles that where it might not be clunky or it might be inappropriate for, for what you're trying to do. That, that's where you run in trouble. And I think it's because we focus so hard on blockchain caps lock. You know, we love blockchain. Yeah, that's great. But that doesn't provide you a solution. And that's what you're, that's what we're seeing now. I think we're moving from that tech focus to solution focus now. Yeah. And I think we're also beginning to see just to Peter's force multiplier point, other disruptive tech interacting with blockchain in a mutually beneficial way like you know applications for ai that does analysis on the the record of transactions that are then on the chain to sort of look for patterns and to drive insights in a way that you know can even take to the next level so um, I, I think we'll continue to see this intersection of some of these disruptive technologies but but all in the context i think of the point that peter made of understand the end solution you're trying to drive to the user and, and then necessarily abstracting the user from some of that complexity so they just get the benefits of the result. Probably one of the biggest roles as a solution architect, a blockchain solution architect, is telling people no. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but part of your, one of the hats you wear is you don't need blockchain. Well, I want to buy a red, black, or blue blockchain. What, what are you on blockchain for? And, and that, that goes not only for for the clients, but for us as developers, like stop, stop the hype, just focus on the solution. Right. You're probably more likely to get a, someone come to you and say, I want to use blockchain. How can we do it? Rather than here's my problem. Tell me the best way to solve it. And then you can say, well, you know what? Blockchain can really solve this in a unique way. Um, and it's appropriate here, not just, you know, not just blockchain for the sake of blockchain. It, it does happen when you when you solution with a client. You know, they say, well, you know, maybe blockchain. Well, hold on a second. Walk me through what is inefficient. Walk me through what's expensive. What 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 makes your life horrible every day? Tell me about that. Let me, as a solution architect, worry about the tech. Don't worry about the blockchain. If, if I can help it, I'm not even going to talk about the blockchain. I want to hear what what I need to fix. And if, if blockchain is appropriate for that, we'll do that. Yeah, it's sort of that question about can you fix it in another way? Because if you can do it in another way, odds are the tech is probably better the other way than using blockchain. But really getting to the, and and conceptually, I think it's really important for the end user to appreciate we use blockchain here because we're able to do something that is not possible through other means in terms of technology, and 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 that's the critical piece of sort of their understanding here. And so, yeah. Yep, that's great. And, 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 you know, as I'm sure you are following, um, you know, cryptocurrency, uh, blockchain technology, it has been uh, a focus of regulators around the world and certainly here uh, in the U.S. Is the, is the regulatory environment something at all that you guys have to focus on or that, you know, uh, play a role in what you're doing? And if so, you know, what concerns do you have uh, in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's something we're very conscious of and, you know, spend a lot of time advising clients on is the shifting regulatory environment. I mean, it is much more focused in the area of just sort of 
value transfer and crypto, right? And and obviously a lot of what we're talking about here with this close as you go solution is not crypto. It's not value transfer. It's just use of the technology to transform the way we manage data in a more intelligent way. So, um, you know, Peter also referenced that there's, you know, there's identity and other types of solutions possible. So um, there's very little regulatory, um, you know, I'll say crackdown on those spaces. I mean, it's still very open. I mean, I do think eventually we do probably need some regulatory standardization. You know, uh, I wouldn't say we need more government oversight, but it would be helpful to have some industry consensus through the production of technical standards on minimum security approaches, things like that. And things that are done, I would say, at a principle level as opposed to a rule level. The rules are going to apply to different blockchains differently, but having some consensus on what those principles should be, I would say, would be very helpful. Um, the, the other point, just in terms of what it is that we're sort of focused on and concerned about, is the one thing that I think we need to see more of in commercial use of blockchains is confidentiality capabilities, because this is important to all of our, both our government and our commercial enterprise customers, is they have to know that there's enough confidentiality built in that only they can see what they need to see and that sort of role-based access capability. So oftentimes that's something that we might either have to layer on top with traditional tech onto the blockchain, or we come to solutions like you know Avalanche and subnets that gives it to us natively. So I think we will just continue to see this evolution and these types of enterprise uses of blockchains and the blockchain tech evolving to meet this confidentiality requirement. Yeah, I'd like to pile on there, Justin. You know, to tell all my blockchain friends out there, if you if you want this to be mainstream, if you want that critical mass, you're going to need to play along with some regulation. It, it, we we can't have it without that. Now, how we get to that regulation, I'm, I'm all for that argument, you know, get private business involved in that. And that's, that's fine. We're going to have that discussion. But there is no doubt about it. If we, we can't eliminate the government from blockchain going forward. We've got to help them get to that point. And when we get to that point, uh, we'll see this flourish. But right now, you know, the banks are waiting to hear the, the government tell them exactly what they need to do, but the government doesn't know exactly what to tell them. Same thing with identity. They don't, they're not quite sure yet. And we all know the government's not fast. But we can't abandon the idea that we need regulation. It has to happen. Otherwise, this will not reach critical mass. It will not become mainstream, regardless of how much we love it. It's, it seems to me, and, I, and I'll ask you if you share, share this view or not, but it seems to me that for any regulator approaching this, uh, you know, it's an extremely complicated technology at, at any level, really. Um, you know, what's going on behind the scenes, how it works, all the different components that are involved, you know, and like we were talking about, in a way, it's extremely transparent because everything's accessible, but in another way, it's extremely private because you have to keep all this, you know, secret ha codes and everything, uh, seed phrases, very private. So there's sort of inherent, um, you know, intricacies in how people can understand this and adopt it. And, and, and putting that aside, it seems to me dangerous to regulate technology as opposed to regulating, you know, conduct or, you know, someone's behavior or misuse of, uh, you know, of the technology. But to, to regulate the technology itself seems like that might set da a dangerous precedent um, going forward. I, I, I think I'm on board with that, Justin. I think, you know, it's, it's not, and that kind of goes back to the solutioning discussion we had. It's, it's not about the technology, it's how it's applied. Because, yeah, I could, I can think of ways to use blockchain and 
ways that we wouldn't find appropriate for for a, for a democratic society. You could, I mean, there's considerations. For example, in China, the way they're using it, they're, they don't want a, a CDBC because they are, you know, trying to unlock financial freedom. There's there's control there, and that's all because of the way you. Where, where you put the blockchain in, this, in the solution in this case, and that that can be used in some 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 nasty ways if you're not careful. With yeah, that, that technology. I mean, I, I agree with your point, Justin. I think that if we have effective regulation, it really has to be more principles and conduct based, because otherwise we end up locking into the current tech environment we have today, which is only going to, in the future, constrain innovation because then the regulators are going to be saying, well, you're trying to do something that the rules don't allow for, you know, and it's just, it's not a productive conversation because then the regulators are trying to sort of constrain or you feel compelled to somehow, you know, bring your innovation in line with, you know, these antiquated rules. So given how difficult it is for the government, I think, to agree upon rules, you know, principles-based just seems the way to go. And, and then to have that underlying flexibility that we all agree on the values that we want to try to see, um, you know, being met. And the government then has the flexibility on terms of how those are achieved. Yeah, great. Uh, well, I think we're nearing our time here. Um, this was a, a great discussion. I thank you for both coming on. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just ask if any of you have any final thoughts or final words you want to uh, part with. Um, the floor is yours. Yeah, I think we just remain very bullish about this overall um, technology and its impact and eventually the receptivity of this um, in the US. I mean, I think now, as you mentioned earlier, and there's a lot of regulatory uh, uncertainty right now. Uh, I'm fairly confident that this, uh, we will find our way through this, you know, and, and it, it becomes, a, a, I think, for us as a competitive leadership priority for the country, a necessity that we have to work our way through it. So I'm confident we will. Um, so, you know, for those of us that are a little bit doubtful about, you know, where does this um, sector go, um, I think it's going to continue to grow. And, uh, and it's probably more important now than ever that we have all of the advocates that are leaning in and believe in this technology, really engaged in helping understand all of the benefits that it can bring to our representatives, our regulators, et cetera. And, and I would add, uh, you know, from a design and being in the, in the weeds, be pragmatic in your designs, be practical. Uh, you're not going to fix the world with blockchain. I know, I know there's a great air of altruism around it and it's going to save the universe. It, it's not. But it is something that's powerful, and it is exciting, and I, we all want to see it ex excel. But if you want to see that, we need the regulation, we need to be pragmatic, we need to be practical, and we need to think of solutions that are appropriate for the technology. Don't shove blockchain down a solution where it's not appropriate. It just hurts the, it hurts the, the ecosystem as a whole because it makes us look clumsy. That's my, my advice. Well, those are great parting words. So, again, I thank you both for, for joining me today. and. Uh, and have a good one. We hope you enjoyed our Hootenanny. Thank you for listening. For more hootful and hype-free resources, visit owlexplains.com. There, you will find articles, quizzes, practical explainers, suggested reading materials, and lots more. Also, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to continue wising up on blockchain and Web3.
<laughs> That's all for now on Owl Explains. Until next time.